You hear that music? I hear that music, and I know what freaking time it is, and you better know what time it is as well. It's 1046. I'm Guy Adami, joined as always by my dear friend Dan Nathan. Today's episode of At 1046 brought to you by our presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow, and of course, Open Exchange. They manage virtual meetings, Dan, that matter, that matter for the top companies around the world. Put 14 minutes on the clock. We're going to hit a macro call, some single stocks, research, the whole rig. First call of the day, Dan Nathan, J.P. Morgan. You know them as J.P.M. Comes out J.P.M. Slide it, Earl, because they're raising their year-end price target. By the way, we're getting a lot closer than people think. The 4600 from 4400 the reopening of the economy is not an event, but a process, which I happen to agree with. Although, Dan, I would submit this, and I can do this math. Watch me. 4600 in the S&P. Divided yeah. by a 23 <laughs> multiple, which is expensive. That's yeah. $200 worth of earnings. Man, that, that is, as we say, good for them, man. That, that's ambitious, as they say, Dan. Nathan. By the way, hello, Dan. Yeah, very ambitious. But maybe that 23 multiple, that maybe that's the wrong thing that we're looking at here, Guy. Because as you would say, that 4,600 now is just, what, 5 or 6%. It's a whisper away. A whisper. A whisper away. Hey, listen, you know what? This was a timely call. I think J.P. Morgan made this Tuesday morning. The they turnaround did good for Tuesday. them. That's fair. Yeah, at the lows on Monday, the market was down 2.2%, the S&P 5 in particular. And we hadn't seen that sort of downward volatility really in months in the S&P. Yeah. I think it was the worst down day for the S&P. So again, it really comes down to um, what are will- uh, people willing to pay for future earnings or the potential future earnings. Um, 4,600, again, doesn't sound um, you know like it's going to be hard to come by, especially if we don't do any major damage in the, uh, in the S&P 500 this summer. Well, as they say, I don't know who Earl is, but slide it, Earl, because that yeah. brings us to our first chart. And I'm going to be I'm going to try to be respectful of the time here, Dan Nathan. Yeah. And this is our first chart is the S&P 500. By the way, fact set. Thank you for the charts. We traded down to and held uh, that 50-day moving average. We've talked about it for quite some time. That move on Monday to the penny, as Carter Worth says, touched the 50-day, bounced off it. Here we are now, Dan Nathan. Yeah. And people ask us all the time, you know, which line are you going to choose to speak to today? You know, that sort of thing. And listen, it's not like we're just kind of putting our finger up in the air. I mean, guy, you've been doing this for like 50 years. I've been doing this for about 25 years. I mean, listen, it used to be that people used to take, you used to take out your scratch book with the charts and kind of put little lines in there. And you'd say, well, that's where, you know, prior support was, that's where they should find. So, you know, again, now the algos are doing it. There's a lot of traders who do it on a qualitative basis. But it seems to work, right? And so I would say this, that if we go back and test that 50-day soon, okay, and we break it, then you're going to be contending with that 200-day, that the 200-day we don't have up on there on the chart. But where is that guy? It's somewhere down here. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because if we do go back and test it, we're not going to hold this time. And each day, that 200-day moving average increases by about five S&P handles. Yeah, probably comes in around right around 4000 or so, which makes sense. A lot of people talking about it. I'm glad you brought that up. But, you know, why do these things work? I don't know why they work. They just seem to. The reasons don't necessarily matter whether or not it's everybody watching the same thing or not. Fact is, it does work. We pointed out a number of times, which brings us, Dan, to our next chart, because you can't look at the S&P unless you look at the NDX. And we had that sell off. Obviously, we have subsequently bounced, by the way, into we're going to be a slew of earnings next week. What is this? 
How does this speak to you, Dan Nathan? Speak to me about how yeah. this speaks to well, you. I, I actually think that's the most important thing. If you look at the NASDAQ 100, we know those top five or six names uh, first fi- uh, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon. You affectionately refer to them as F MAGA, throw the F MAGA complex and yeah. NVIDIA on there. And you are 50% of this, this, of this index. And so, you know, Look how much further this is away than the S and P was, right? From its fifty light, day, and we know those light same, years. yeah, and those same names make up about twenty five percent of the uh, the weight of the S and P five hundred. So, I guess the point that I would just make is that we know that all of those names are very near their all time highs. Apple and Amazon in the last two weeks finally broke out to new all time highs, and Facebook, Google, uh, and Microsoft were already just kind of making highs every day. The, the, the question is expectations going forward. We're going to take a look at Microsoft later on in this program, but right here there is room to drop down to that kind of 14,100 level. And that might be a really healthy place to kind of for investors to rethink about what the back half looks like, what this opening um, process looks like. Because again, back to JP Morgan's point, I think I'm in agreement too. The reopening is not a point in time. It is a process. No doubt about it, which brings us to the process of yields, which have been remarkable. I know you poo-poo me and say, you know what? Bond volatility doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. But I got to tell you something. We've seen bond volatility in space. And by the way, folks, if you watch the macro setup, if you watch Fast Money, if you watch our podcast, all those things, clearly you're watching 1046. Dan Nathan has been saying for months that 10-year yields would trade down to 1.2%. Well, he got it, and he got another five basis points on top of that. But we have bounced off this little channel that you provided, Dan. And that 125 or so level, the 200-day moving average, we're right around, if not through, back to the upside thoughts here in the 10-year. Yeah. So again, you know, I was thinking for a whole host of reasons, not because I had some dream, you know, that this Delta variant was going to be um, this massive headwind to growth or that sort of thing. Again, this is horrible stuff that we've been contending with for a very long time. But my point was that the recovery is not going to be linear, especially here in the U.S., but also globally. So rates was kind of sniffing that out back in the spring. You had this move. Everybody was really on one side looking for higher rates. And that's why the pain trade was lower. I'll say this. If we have one more test of that support range guy and we get through next week's Fed meeting and we don't really go much lower than that range, then the trade is going to be setting up long rates into what is that long range short bonds, right? Into Jackson Hole late August. And I think you're going to start seeing investors really start to price in a taper. And that's the thing that maybe gets rates back above 1.5. One of my favorite places in the country, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And you folks at 1046, you wonder, not to make light of Delta variant, but Delta Dawn did Tanya Tucker or Helen Reddy do it better? That's the question for you. That's homework for next week, which brings us to the first call. You know, it's a Goldman Sachs. It's it's a it's at ten forty six. It's a Goldman Sachs day, Dan Nathan, because they upgraded Qualcomm. Good for them. But you know what? Just to neutral from sell. Talk to me about Qualcomm because I can make a pretty compelling case on valuation. Yeah, I, I love this call. Not only does it go, you know, only to a neutral, but their price target goes to 148. The stock is currently trading at 142 and a half. So this is not what we would call a table pounder in the business. But listen, all the similar catalysts. I mean, if we had a buck for every time over the last like 10 years, someone said they're going to benefit from the new iPhone launch. You know what I mean? You'd say to yourself, ah, I don't need to work anymore. Um, but Qualcomm is also a very reasonably priced stock, a very yeah. good 
balance sheet. I think they're expected next year to have 10% earnings and sales growth trades about 16 times, 16 and a half times. You know, that seems pretty cheap. So any catalyst there. And then again, this is still negative sentiment from Goldman Sachs. If anything goes right on their earnings call next week, I'll bet you Goldman's going to be upgrading this puppy and slapping, you know, a, a much higher price target based on a higher multiple. Yeah, well, I don't know if you're a fan of a Christmas story, but they can't. Yeah. I mean, you know, the double dog dare, they skip yeah. right over that. And Goldman can't skip over. You can't go basically from sell to buy. Then go to neutral first. And you're right. I think if you do see a good earnings report, which you should, they're going to have to go to buy from neutral. And we'll see. The average price target on this stock, according to facts, that is 173. The range is basically 135 to 200 for analysts. And as you mentioned, 16 times is not expensive. Let's take a look at the chart because the stock has had a lot of trouble at that 150 level for whatever reason. But you drew that trend line. I don't know if that's a hungry crocodile or something, Dan, nah. but what nah. speaks to me is the fact that we've continued to hold this uptrend. And I do think we break through the upside. And I think Goldman's going to be forced to. Yeah, this is this is a really again. interesting wedge. Let's rip through these charts because, as far as I'm concerned, you know, um, the tension is building. It's going to break one way or the other. Um, and you know, again, this thing is about 16 percent from its 52 week highs made in early January. And I think in February there was a disappointing result. The stock gapped down, and it hasn't seen too many upticks since then. So if you change that second half guidance, or at least the uh, narrative around it, you're going to see the stock kind of testing 150. But if you take us to the next chart guide, Texas Instruments that reported last. Last night, by the way, Texan, yeah. Texan, as the kids say, um, you know, this thing also was making a very nice wedge, a really constructive chart um, down 5%. I think there was some things to nitpick on that quarter in the guidance. But again, the stock had been outperforming um, and I'm just not going to spend too much time in there. But I want to get your take on the SMH, the ETF that tracks the semiconductor index, because that is actually looks really constructive, looks poised yeah, and for a breakout. And I want to pull that up. And in terms of Texas Instruments, you're talking about a valuation story. You're talking about a double top. But this, you're talking about a potential for a breakout in this SMH. And it's right. all going to really coincide with what we hear over the next couple of weeks with some of these mega cap names. This is extraordinarily constructive to me. A lot of people would say, wait a second, guy, you just talked about a double top. Yeah, but here we are once again pushing towards that level. Typically, third time up goes right through. We're going to see. But the SMH is a tell. Texans too expensive. Qualcomm's too cheap. Which brings us to our next call, Dan Nathan. Please, again, <laughs> Goldman Sachs. Big Goldman Day, as I mentioned. Yeah, man. Well, this is one, this has got to be near and dear to your heart. Didn't you start your career trading crude oil at the J. Aaron Institute? This wasn't the Institute, but it was uh, a group. Don't make, don't a, make light of J. Aaron, <laughs> by the way. I, I will not. And I know that there's a fraternity and it was primarily dudes back then, I'm sure, trading the oil. But uh, talk to me about this one, Guy. Obviously, you've been very constructive on crude oil. The drillers were the kind of the, the way to play it from a beta standpoint, right? And it kind of seems to be always um, that case. But here's an upgrade of Halliburton from Goldman. About time. Let's take a look at the chart because I think this is important. By the way, Halliburton reported earnings also upgraded at BNP Paribas, uh, raised the price targets at Stifle. Piper raised their price target. I think the average price target now is about 26 and a half or so. I think you have a huge double bottom. I think this has become a free cash flow story. I think the stock sold off on the back of crude oil getting obliterated, which was another great call by you. But the stock overshot to the downside. We're right at that 200-day or so moving average. I think the earnings were good enough. I think these companies are more efficient now. I think you're going to see more analysts raise their price target on the back of earnings and probably crude going higher. I like this call a lot. I think this is going to trend right back up to that 25 level, Dan, which is where we broke down from. 
Yeah, I'm less constructive. I think the uh, some of these oils names and the services and then obviously the large integrateds in the XLE, they led to the downside. They were already going down before that bad break in crude oil um, earlier in the week here. And I think from a technical standpoint, I think that $20 level is really important here. You get below that again, that becomes resistance. And then below the 200-day moving average, there's just not a whole heck of a lot of support. You have to go back to that kind of February low where we drew that uptrend where it starts. So I'm not that constructive of it, but here's the OIH chart guy. And this is, you know, going back a year and you see what we were just talking about, that the whole services sector were going down before crude oil even thought about going lower when people were raising their price targets in crude from, you know, to 80, 90, 100, that sort of thing. What's your take on the OIH? Because that to the penny. Needed to to the penny. There you, you go. Look at, so that squiggly line that you see there, and, that, and that's not a financial term. It just happens to be a squiggly line. That's a 200-day moving average. And it stopped on a dime to the penny as again, the aforementioned Carter Worth would say, I think we've done enough work on the downside. And I think this thing overshot as it typically does. So if you like, almost by definition, if you like that Halliburton call, you got to like this OIH call. But then you got to look, Dan, at our next chart, which is crude oil. Good job by you, by the way, Dan. Short-term crude oil chart, huge uptrend, very steep, broken. Yeah. What was support becomes on the way up what, Dan? Because resistance there, big guy, you, you're all over it. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, I think that is kind of going to be one of the most important charts in the market over the next couple of weeks. And obviously, because the direction of rates, the dollar firmer, um, we know that we just had that OPEC plus um, agreement. Oh, you're raising your hand because you want to say something. I'm raising my hand. No, I'm saying something because we're about, we're going OT. I'm just telling you now, if they're going to play bells, ring, whatever they're going to do, we're going north of 11. So Stay tuned. If you got a meeting at 11, just relax for a minute. Continue, Dan, please. <laughs> yeah, no, I just think that that's going to be a really interesting one to watch. I think that in that sell-off in the equity market, when rates were you know 115 um, on Monday, it was really crude oil that stuck out to me, guy. That thing started literally going lower, like at 1% of the clip. And I think its lowest was down about 8.5%. It felt like a real mass liquidation day. So let's see if it can kind of get its footing back again. And I'm not so impressed with the bouncing inequities. So to me, I think you really want to keep an eye on the energy uh, space. Well, if you're an ESPN, I told you, I told you we were going to go OT. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. There was your buzzer, by the way. So if you're a fan of ESPN, you know, they do plays of the day, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what we do, Dan? What do we do? We do chart of the week. Yeah. Chart this of one... the week. So slide it, Earl, because All we right. got to take a look at this thing. Yeah, this is Microsoft. You guys all know and love them. Actually, Mr. Softy, we call you. Don't, them. You don't love them I because to, no, I do love them. Can I tell you? I have this theory why the Windows um, uh, my operating system on the mobile failed. Is like you know the mobile device was this great new device where Apple and a lot of other guys made this really a fun device and it made it um, connected to things that you do outside of work. And I always thought that the operating system on your phone, when it was a Windows, it just reminded me of your email box. Do you know what I mean? And all those annoying Word documents that you go through at work or whatever. But these guys have owned this transition of taking their, their office suite and, and a lot of related products and then the public cloud. Um, that has been the story here. And, you know, this thing, I mean, all the analysts guy are on one side of this thing. It's $2.1 trillion in market cap. It's up 28% on the year. If you're an analyst, you have a buy rating on the stock and you remain very positive. The only thing that you can do is keep finding new ways to justify a higher price target. There's 39 buys four holds and no sells. City raises their target to 378 from 310. Wow. That's up 31% this year-ish or so when they made the call. Um, what do you think of this thing here? Because I look at this one-year chart 
Okay. Or I go back from the start of 2020 and you take out that kind of the, the February, March move lower here. You have a beautiful uptrend, but we are banging up against the top end of that uptrend right here. Yeah, no doubt about it. And they report obviously next week as well. And at some point they're going to run into a valuation problem. We might be there now because everybody to your point is on one side of that boat yeah. and it's getting a little dicey in terms of where we are just in valuation. This is not a knock on Microsoft by any stretch. It's an amazing company that absolutely turned themselves around five, six years ago and everybody left them for dead under the, under the, tutor, under the basically the steerage of Satya Nadella. He's done a tremendous job. Obviously, the move to cloud has been really important and they deserve it of a premium valuation. Question is how much and how good are this earnings going to have to be for this stock to continue to go higher? I'm inclined, if you're playing stock market at home, to be taking profits into this number. A lot of people would say I'm nuts, but you know what? As they say, Dan, that's what makes markets. Yeah, and I think let, let's let's make a distinction here. You know, you and I are on a show called Fast Money on sure CNBC. I mean, one of the reasons why they pay you the big bucks, where you can have those Who's nice they? pink, the, those nice pink shirts and those purple ties that you wear. You are literally, you know, listen. I got to give a shout out to our old friend and Fast Money favorite Regis Philbin. You know, you literally, what did you raid his closet or something like that? There, you, you look, you look great. Um, you know, you're you're kind of well, outdoing me here a little I bit. I mean, since we're in overtime, when Regis and I were at Notre Dame together. <laughs> You know, we yes. shared each other's clothes. Yeah. Obviously, I grew a lot. He didn't. And that's why we stopped. Yeah. And Regis, rest in peace. Huge Fast Money fan. But I think what you're going to say is, you know, you have to trade around and you have to be tactical yeah. at times. And we're not making a call that Microsoft is dead by any stretch. Far from it. Yeah. It's just that it's gotten over its skis a little bit. And if you look, every time we've gotten to the top end of that up channel, we have failed and subsequently moved back to the lower end, which in this case will be somewhere around 250 or so. I think that's what you're expecting, Dan. Yeah. yeah. And I'll just make one other point. You know, when you have a stock like this that's performed so well, it's up 28% of the year. I think the NASDAQ's only up 14%. So it's doubled the performance of the NASDAQ. Um, you know, to me, you know, sometimes your position just gets too big just from the performance. And you have to start thinking about what is a trading position? Where can I lighten up here, take some profits and look to add back? Maybe it's an evaluation level. Maybe it's a technical level. Maybe it's being tactical in front of an event, that sort of thing. So, you know, I think that's the, that's the sort of stuff that you and I try to impress on our listeners and our viewers just from our experience. And we make all the same mistakes that you guys make, people, but we're just trying to highlight it and we're using the fundamental and the technical inputs to do it there, Guy Dami. You say lighten up. I think of Francis. I think John <laughs> Butters' middle name is probably Francis. John Francis Butters would be a tremendous name. JFB, I would call him. But you know what? He's done some work, and that's sort of our one for the road, as Roger Miller would say. Big profits, Dan Nathan. Talk to me about this, because this sort of coincides with, I think, J.P. Morgan's call. Yeah, always a, a big thank you to John Butters. He gives us a quick preview of his earnings insight that drops that newsletter Friday mornings. And, you know, here's a chart that kind of caught our eye talking about Q2 2021 profit margins. They're expected to be about 12% or so. That would be the highest level other than last quarter um, going back to 2008. And just again, you know, when profit margins are getting really fat, there's a whole host of reasons why that can be. But when you're thinking about it across a very wide 
swath of stocks, usually there's some dynamics um, in play. And oftentimes that could mean um, we're seeing some tops of the cycles, which could also mean tops of the market cycles, if you will. Um, you know, a lot of these companies have benefited from lower taxes. Some of these things, you know, wage growth uh, or, you know, some of these input costs and everything like that, that might start to weigh on second half margins. And when margins start to go lower, valuations should contract a little bit too. So we have a market that's really done, I think, a lot better in the first half than a lot of people thought it would. Now, expectations for second half growth and margins seem a bit high. So we're going to get to the meat of these earnings. We're going to get a better sense for what Q2's actual margins are, guy. But to me, I think it's a tough thing to kind of buy on a stat like this. It almost makes me be a little bit more apprehensive. Just keep in mind, to Dan's point, peak margins typically lead peak market performance for yeah. you know maybe a few weeks, a month or so. Just bear that in mind as we get through again what's going to be an important week. I'm fired up for next week's at 1046. We're not even done with this week's, but next week's is going to be fascinating given what we're going to hear and see, which brings us to the summary, Dan. You don't need me to read it. People can read <laughs> on their not. own, but it was a Goldman Sachs day. Obviously, J.P. Morgan, Mr. Butters, Mr. Softy. Before we get out of here, Dan, give me some parting words of advice, because this, again, fascinating week this week in the market in terms of ups and downs. More importantly, what's going on with the yield market? Yeah, I, listen, you know, at the end of this this uh, show last week, I, I expected a little bit of volatility. I did not expect it to be just one and a half trading days. So, you know, it's funny that, you know, Monday's sell-off felt very orderly. Um, maybe rates when they reversed on Tuesday morning, maybe that was a, a bit of a sign. But the buying that we saw in equities on Tuesday into Wednesday felt a bit panicky, man. And I would really be surprised, you know, if the earnings um, Q2 are expected to be good, they're all going to be good for the most part. They're might be some outliers. But if Q3 disappoints, maybe we start to revisit those lows from Monday um, afternoon. That would be my take in the next few weeks. This is where we say goodbye, Dan. And I apologize to you folks that had meetings at 11. I hope you stayed with us. We're trying to be fast. I can't be any faster, Dan Nathan. But today's episode of At 1046 has been brought to you by our presenting sponsors, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. Thank you for the charts, by the way. And thank you for John Butters. John Francis Butters, that would be great. And of course, Open Exchange. We got Brendan and Mike Cavino crushing it. Brendan's name isn't Cavino, they're not brothers. Brendan Bresney and Mike Cavino, I should have said that. Open Exchange, they manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. This has mattered to me. I hope it's mattered to you. We'll see you next week at 1046. Take us out, Dan Nathan. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to you, Guy Adami. Um, and we'll see you next week.